Well, let's take our Bibles tonight. And it looks like kids are going to go across the way, okay, to the chapel. And as they make their way that way, we'll find ourselves in Luke chapter 6. This evening is where we'll be, all right? Luke chapter 6 tonight. Luke chapter 6. And we'll use Luke chapter 6 as a springboard. And then we'll jump over to 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you want to find both places, keep one finger in one spot and put your other finger in the other spot. And we'll go between the two tonight, all right? But uh, soon, if you'll help me pray, soon we will do a different series of study on Sunday evenings. And I'm looking at this topic of, of study, of looking into the spiritual gifts, all right? And when I say, when I say spiritual gifts, what I'm, what I'm referring to is, is I'm not talking about speaking in tongues or I'm not talking about laying hands on people and healing, healing them. Rather, what we're speaking of when we talk of spiritual gifts, we're talking about the ones that are found in Romans chapter 12, uh, such as the gift of service, teaching, exhortation, uh, giving, mercy, and some others. But we'll look at uh, those spiritual gifts uh, very soon. So I'm praying for that, praying to that end. And I, and I encourage you, if you will, to pray, to pray with me, all right? And, uh, uh, but it's my prayer as we study these that God will highlight one or more of these gifts that's uh, more evident in your life as the gift that God has given to you. Because listen, every, every believer has one, at least one of these, all right? Uh, but we have a gift that God has given to us, spiritual gift is given to us. And when we find out what that gift is, I would highly encourage you to use that gift. Uh, not selfishly, not to be used for yourself, but rather use that gift that's been given to us as believers in the context of, of the church for this purpose, to edify each other, to admonish one another, lift each other up, all for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel. So we'll do some diving into that very, very soon. But I would uh, like for you to help me pray to pray about that. And I'll be honest with you, it's a little nerve-wracking to me because I don't want to mess that up, all right? And I uh, don't want to mess anything up when I preach, but that one's just a little bit extra nerve-wracking to me. So, so if you'll help me pray about that, then uh, I would very much appreciate it, all right? But this evening, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6 as we're considering still. Maybe we've got one, this one, maybe one more consider, but... On this topic of study, of things that do not make sense. Things that do not make sense. And again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28 in just a moment. But before we reread it, as we think of things that do, do not make sense, we know that our world is full of things that just don't make sense. And uh, I saw some even recently, again, I was reminded of at least, they just does not. Makes sense to me. And here's one of them. And if it offends you, I'm sorry for offending you, I think. But <laughs> this all makes sense to me. You ready? Taco Bell. At least the love of it. It just doesn't make sense to me. Now, anybody here you love Taco Bell? That's your first choice? All right. I got a couple of people. Love Taco Bell. All right. There's only two sinners in the house tonight that I see. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, but that's not my first choice. I guess if I was starving, yeah, I'd probably eat that, but it's not my first choice. And then I saw where people are really advocating, trying very hard to 
down the road eventually have flying cars. And it sounds cool, but again, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know why? Because if people drive this bad on I-26 out here in front of this church, how much worse is it going to be when they get to fly in the air with that same car, you know? It just doesn't make sense to me. And, of course, this time of year, paying taxes doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. But there are things we would agree that just do not make sense in a world in which we live. But as we read our Bibles, we also can come across some verses, some phrases, some uh, texts and, uh, that we look at. And like, no, I don't, I don't know about that one. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's not that we don't believe it. Just I don't quite understand it because it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And we can scratch our heads and look at it and say, I just don't know about that. But we find phrases and verses and texts that will cause us to do that. And I think of some we've already looked at before already. But again, I'm reminded of Romans chapter 12, verse 21, where it says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, again, in our natural mind, this does not make sense. Because in our natural mind, in the flesh, we want to fight fire with fire. We don't want to fight uh, evil with good. We want to fight fire with fire, fight evil with evil, meaning you, you hurt me, well, I'm going to hurt you back. So in our natural mind, overcoming evil with good, this, this, this doesn't make sense. Again, in Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through, through 40, <laughs> I can't talk tonight, verses 43 through 44, it says this. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Again, in our world tonight, in the society in which we live, uh, they would teach that the one who rules, leads, or who is the boss, he does not serve. No, no, he's the one that bosses people around. And so in our natural mind, again, uh, that the individual that would be chiefest shall be your servant. Well, that don't make a whole lot of sense. But... We find principles and phrases in Scripture, as we study them, they don't make a lot of sense. But after we study them, rather, and apply them in our life, they will begin to make better sense. And there's another one I would like to consider this evening. And it's a phrase that's found in Luke chapter, 20, uh, chapter 6, verse 27. And it's this phrase, bless them that curse you. Again, our natural mind, it doesn't make sense. But let's look at it. Look at it this evening as Jesus in a context here is preaching and teaching on the, on the uh, Mount of Beatitudes here. The Sermon on the Mount as it's referred to many times where multitudes of people are listening to Jesus preach and teach. Now you hear these very words as he says them. Look at Luke chapter 6 verse 27. And the Bible says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. Our Father, again, we come to you asking you to help us this evening. I pray you to help me, Lord, to preach and to teach. Lord, help me to do so because without you I know I can do nothing. Lord, give us a great evening together. We need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you see these words and, and look at these two verses, do you think that this made complete sense to the people at this at this very moment, I would think some of them may have went a little cross-eyed and scratched their heads and said, I don't know, I don't know about that one. And maybe in their natural mind they say, man, this doesn't make sense, this is a little bit crazy. And I'll be honest with you, Lord, what you're saying sounds good, but it seems really impossible because, <clears throat> well, the world in which we live, the world in which we live is full of conflict, full of hate, 
full of difficulty, full of animosity, one to another, full of divisions. People divide over political party or political ideology. They divide over all kinds of things. Just crazy, foolish things people divide over. Uh, they'll divide over Ford versus Chevy, right? And that's crazy to divide over that. Everybody knows Ford is better, right? Amen. No. But uh, they'll divide over crazy things like that. Which is better, Starbucks or Dunkin'? Of course Dunkin's better. That's not even a debate. Why are we dividing over this, you know? But people divide over the silliest things in this world of conflict in which we live. And because of this, because of the conflict and the division we, we, we come in contact with, understand folks will not always agree with you. And because of that, they will not even like you. And they will even actually, yes, hate you. And because someone will not like you, the Bible says again in verse number 27, I've already alluded to it, but it says they will hate you. Now, by the way, this is not just a small dislike. Uh, no, this word here, hate, it means this. It means to detest, to abhor, to hate is so much so that you would want to do physical harm to, to that individual that you would want to persecute them even to the point of extermination. And that's what that word hate means. Verse number, uh, verse number 27. And then it says this, curse you. That's what people want to do because of divisions and conflict. Now, this, is, this goes beyond just a, a uh, getting cussed out or a tongue-lashing type of thing. This more goes along the lines of a casting a curse upon or invoking some kind of evil or upon or dooming someone. And then he goes on to say, and despitefully use you. What's this mean? Well, this means to insult, to falsely accuse, to treat abusively, more in a verbal sense at least, that is. Despitefully use you. Now, when you put all these words together, as Jesus is even te teaching in this moment, all of these words, all these phrases, they seem pretty harsh, do they not? Yes, they do, preacher. Okay, they do, absolutely. They seem pretty harsh. You know why? Because they are. They're horrendously harsh. It's horrible. Uh, but understand, this, this happens. And maybe you have experienced some of this in one form or another, from one degree to, to another, and if you haven't, well, just give it time, all right? And, uh, and you will, because the Bible still says, in the world you shall have tribulation, John 16, 33. It's going to happen. But I'd say we've all experienced this in one form or another, being hated or, or cursed or despitefully, despitefully used. But as you think of that, I mean, treated that way, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. How do you respond to that? How do you respond with that? How do you deal with that? What do you do? Uh, one person said that 10% of, of life is what happens to you, and the other 90% is how you respond to it. A lot of that is true. But how do you respond to this? Being despitefully used, hated, cursed. What do you do when someone hates you, cusses you, ridicules you, insults you, or falsely accuses you? What do you do with that? Well, in the text here, Jesus said in verse 28, again, bless them that curse you. Well, that don't make a lot of sense. So we could look this evening at several verses that would help us with that answer of what do you do with that? Of how do you do that? How do you actually bless someone that curses you? What does that even look like? Well, we could look at several verses to give us answers to those questions. But for today, I would like to turn our attention to 1 Peter. All right? So go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll read verses 21 through 24 here in just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2. 
verse 21 through 20 through 24. Look at it with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number, verse number 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, to his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should, be, should, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Some lovely verses there. All pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary and why he endured such harsh treatment at the hands of sinners. It was for us to save us, to cleanse us, to make us whole, to make us righteous. But the verse I like to hone in on, at least for the text this evening, is verse, verse number 23. As Peter here is writing to some very scarred and scattered believers who are facing some great horrendous treatment, facing hatred, persecution. They are facing uh, ridicule and false accusations and reviling and so much more. But as he's writing to them, understanding that context historically that's behind this book of the Bible, as he's writing to them, he writes to them and points to them to the best example that he could think of that would encourage them and that would help them as they face this kind of treatment. And uh, the best example he could come up with was not himself. No, I'm sure he went through some things and he could probably testify of a, a couple of things, no doubt in his life, that he endured. He didn't point them to himself, though. He didn't point them to the Apostle John. He didn't point them to John the Baptist. He didn't point them to the Apostle Paul. He didn't even point them back to the Old Testament to David or Elijah or Jeremiah, any of the prophets or kings. He didn't point them to any of those people. Rather, here's what Peter does. He points these dear people who are facing some horrendous treatment in their life. He points them directly to Jesus. And By the way, that's the best person to point anyone to is Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what they're facing, good or bad, point them to the Lord. And so that's what Peter does. He points them to Jesus, and as we consider this evening to bless them that curse you, let's look to Jesus tonight as well. So number one, from this, from this verse of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 23, the first thing I'd like for us to see and consider is this. Consider this. Consider Jesus' experience. All right? Consider that he too has experienced ridicule, hatred, cursing, being despitefully used, and so much more. Look at the verse again in verse 23. And notice these two phrases. When he was reviled and when he suffered. Understand we're not the only ones to ever suffer ridicule or false accusations or abuse. Uh, no, Jesus did as well. And please don't um, misunderstand me this evening, all right? Please know that me even trying to give off a hint of comparison or of the ridicule, reviling that we may face and comparing that to what Jesus faced. Understand, I'm not trying to do that 
exactly because even as I think of that, automatically it puts me to shame. It really makes me embarrassed to even think of what I've gone through and trying to compare that to what Jesus has gone through. Come on, no way. I'm not trying to do that, okay? All I'm trying to do this evening is know this as believers. As we come, as we come to the shepherd and bishop of our souls, please know he has gone through what you've gone through and worse. He knows because he has experienced it. He knows what you've gone through because he too has been there and even worse. So the purpose behind this point is just to show that. To show that Jesus can completely identify with what we go through because he's experienced it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 through 16, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into, into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, meaning tried or tested, all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen. There's so much I love about these verses in Hebrews chapter 4 and uh, verses 14 through 16. So much I love in these verses, but I want to take notice of this phrase, all right, real quick. This phrase where it says, be not be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. This is, uh, I am no Greek scholar, I promise, all right. Anybody can take a, a strong concordance and look up some things to help in your, in your, uh, in your study of the scripture, all right. But, but it's, understand that this, this phrase is really one Greek word, it's, Sumapatheo, all right? And uh, this is where we get our, our, our English word sympathy from. But it means to be affected with the same feeling as another. It means to sympathize with, to feel for, to have compassion upon. And Jesus can, listen, sympathize, have compassion on us with what we are facing, what we have gone through, or what we've experienced with the cursing, the, the uh, ridicule, the false accusations, the revilings, or whatever. He can sympathize with all of that and more. Why? Well, because he too was in all points, meaning every point individually or even collectively, tempted, again, tested or tried, like as we are yet without sin. Understand, we have a sinless Savior who has suffered for us, and that makes Him able to sympathize with us. Uh, listen to these verses as things that He endured, at least along the lines of what we're looking at with the, with the cursing and with the um, uh, reviling, that kind of thing. Uh, listen to these verses, all right? Matthew chapter 27, verse 27 to 31 then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when he had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put on his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And then while he was even on the cross, listen to what the strangers did as they passed by and saw Jesus dying for them, dying in their place. In Mark 15, verse 29, and they passed by, and they that passed by railed on him. That word railed is blasphemo, meaning they blasphemed, they spoke evil of, they, they reviled him. 
They railed on him, wagging their heads, saying, Ah, thou that destroyedest the temple and buildest it in three days, mocking the Savior. Again, in Luke 23, 39, and one of the malefactors which, which, hang, which were hanged, railed, again, the same word as in Mark 15, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. <laughs> They're mocking him, railing upon him, blaspheming him, speaking evil of him. He knows exactly how you feel because, listen, he went through it as well. He knows what it means to be mocked, ridiculed, abused, accused, and so much more. Why? He experienced it time and time again. But because he experienced it, we as believers have this great privilege to have a God who can sympathize with us, to have a God that invites us to come before His presence, before the throne of grace. Listen to these verses again. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have night and high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, meaning He can be, right? But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He went through it all. Listen, and because he did that, he invites us. Listen to these verse, this verse. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time, in a time of need. Listen, he went through all of that and he can sympathize with any hurt or pain we may ever have and endure in our life. We have the privilege of 1 Peter 5, 7 doing this, casting all of our care upon him for he careth for you. So understand, when it comes to bless them that curse you, we have a great example, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is pointing the scattered believers to the Lord, and listen, he's doing the same for us today. We must look to the Lord, especially when you find yourself enduring that pain, that cursing, whatever it may be, look to the Lord and let him help you. So we see that Jesus experienced that. He's our great example. And then I want to see this back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, all right? Take notice of this. Don't retaliate. Oh, man. That's the hard part, all right? Don't retaliate. Look again at verse, 1 Peter 2, 23. Notice, notice these verses. Reviled not again. He threatened not. Meaning Jesus didn't retaliate. He didn't try to get even. He didn't, he didn't do to them what they did to him. Now, in our human mind, this does not make sense, all right? When, when we are treated harshly, when we are defamed, uh, we just want to, to take that same treatment and give it back to them. Uh, we don't want to take it on the chin. No, no, no. We want to retaliate. You see, in our flesh, when we get cussed out, you know what we want to do? We want to cuss them back. Don't be too holy on me tonight. You know what I'm talking about, all right, in your flesh. You know when somebody hurts us, we want to hurt them back. When they, hurt, they make us feel so much pain, we want them to feel the same amount of pain. And really, if you're honest with yourself, we, we don't want them to feel the same amount. We want them to feel a little bit worse than how we feel. The whole eye for an eye thing, if it's really up to us, we don't want just one eye. We want both of them. In our flesh, that's how we want to respond. But Jesus here, he did not retaliate. And he tells us the same. So instead of responding with vengeance and responding by getting even. No, no, he says, bless them that curse you. Bless them that curse you. So don't retaliate. 
And not retaliating, by the way, it's not natural. But understand, we are not, we're not called to be normal. We are called to be a little different, a little abnormal, all right? As the Bible says, peculiar. And uh, some of y'all are really peculiar, all right? But no. But we're called to be a little different. You see, in the context of Luke chapter 6, as Jesus is still teaching and preaching, he says these words. In Luke 6, verse 32 to 36, For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Meaning, that's normal. They give back as, as people have given to them. That's normal. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. It's normal to do that. If you lend of them of, of whom you, ha- you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. It's normal to give, to give the same amount you've given to me to give it back. It's normal. But then he says this. But. <laughs> that's a key word there. It denotes a contrast to show the difference. The difference that there should be. But. Love your enemies and do good. And lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. Yes, ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. <laughs> We're to be a little different. And I'm not going to pretend, though, that it's easy. I'm not going to pretend that it's easy to turn the other cheek. And I'm not going to pretend that it's easy not to retaliate. I know it's a hard thing. I get it. But understand we're still to be different. 1 Peter 2, 9, a peculiar people. Be different. Don't retaliate. Here's what Paul said as he wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 4, 8 through 13. Now ye are full. Now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign. That we also might reign with you. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were, appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands. Listen to these words. Being reviled, we bless. That's what Paul is saying. He said, everybody knows we're different. Even you people know at Corinthian church, you know we're different. We're being reviled, being abused, but we bless. That, again, that Greek word is very interesting. It's a eulogio. It's where we get our English word eulogy from. It means to praise, to invoke blessing upon. And he goes on to say, being persecuted, we suffer it. We stand and take it. We endure it. Being defamed, meaning blasphemed, evil spoken of, being defamed, we entreat it. That word entreat is pericleo. It means to come to the side of someone and to comfort and to appease. He said we entreat it. They hurt us, but we come to them and comfort them. My goodness. Don't you think it's a little different than what the people are used to? Used to seeing. Bless them that curse you. He says we are, we are made as the filth. Filth of, of the world. It's interesting, that word filth there is a term that's used in the Greek world for individuals who have caught some sort of plague and they'll be considered trash. And the only way to get rid of the plague is to simply sacrifice them and burn them. And that's what they would do. But that's the same Greek word that he uses for filth 
there. He says, we're made of the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. But it sounds like Paul was mistreated just to say, to say the least. But what did he do? He endured it. He, he didn't retaliate. He spoke kind to others when blasphemed. When people would hurt him, he would come alongside them and try to help them and comfort them. That's what it means to bless them that curse you. Don't retaliate. And quickly, I want to see this. Not only do we see the example of the Lord, his experience, not only do we see, don't retaliate, but last, I want to see that. From this verse in verse 23, give it to God. This is where everything ties in, all right? Just give it to the Lord. Again, verse 23, that's the end of it. But committed himself to him that judges righteously. Now, the word commit here is a great word. It means to give into the hands of another. It means to give over into one's power. It means to give up into one's custody. To give over. To give it to them. To give it over. To commit. It's theirs. It's theirs. Let's say I had $500. And I need a volunteer. Kenny's the first one to raise his hand. All right. <laughs> I said, let's say I, I had. Meaning I don't. But let's just say I did. <clears throat> let's say I had $500. And I would take it out of my pocket and give it to you. I would commit it to you. You'd take it in your hand and you would what? You'd take it. You'd keep it. You'd keep it. And as I give it to you, I don't want it back. Right? That's what the word commit means. You give it without any intention of taking it back. When we say give it to God, that's what we mean. It's not just a cliche phrase we use to sound very spiritual. No, no. It's, it's a principle to live by. Just give it to the Lord. Listen, when we're treated harshly, when someone defames us or hurts us, and that desire to get even, that desire to lash out in a rage, that desire to just, let's get down in country with it, beat the snot out of somebody, all right? That desire comes in, that temptation to, comes in to do that, that temptation to take over and do that. Listen, we have to take that and give it to God. Surrender that desire to the Lord. Listen, here's what you're doing. Surrendering your will to God's will. By the way, that's what Jesus did. As the Son of God, surrendering His will to the Father. Do you remember what He said as He was in the, in the garden praying and agonizing in prayer and sweating, as it were, great drops of blood? Do you remember what He said? In Luke twenty two forty two, saying, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done that's what it means to commit yourself to him that judges righteously to give it over to god who will do what is right give it to the lord just give it to the lord again i'm not going to pretend it's easy but i will tell you it's right because one day one day the lord will take care of all the injustice that's been happened or taken place or done he will take care of all of that, take care of all the evil that's ever taken place, take care of all the evildoers who thought they would ever get away with their evil ways. Listen, one day God will repay. The Bible says in Romans 12, 19 through 20, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Give all of that to the Lord. 
Commit it to God. Give it to Him and trust Him with the results. Just bless those that curse you. Because understand, when we do, when we commit it to God, we give it over to the Lord, we just trust God with it all, when we follow the Lord in this by giving the bad deeds done to us, giving all that to Him, listen, when we do that, God will show His grace in our lives and through our lives and others will see it. And say, it's a little bit different. It's not what I'm used to. It's a little bit different. And they'll have a desire. I believe it whets the appetite at least, sparks the interest of individuals to, to, to want to have what we have, that grace that we get to experience in Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not going to pretend it's easy, but I would say it's right to bless them that curse you. If you have a hard time with it, I want to encourage you again to look to Jesus and see how he, did, he experienced it and how he did not retaliate. And he did do this. He committed it unto the Lord. He gave it, gave it into the hands of his Father. Committed unto him. Committed unto God. Just give it to him and let him take care of it and trust him with the results. Bless them.